Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We talk about the issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming every week right here. We keep it interesting. We keep it slightly informative, of course, and we also make it about stuff that's a little bit out of your normal ag discussion at the coffee shop. We don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about grain prices per se. We talk about the business of agriculture. Got a tremendous show today. Today we're talking about agricultural mergers and acquisitions. Yes, there's been a lot of activity. Yes, we took a little downturn and the ag consolidations went crazy. What do these ag mergers and acquisitions mean? What do these consolidations mean for farmers? What do they mean for suppliers? What do they mean for consumers? In other words, what are we talking about here? What are we really going to have happen to us? I've got a tremendous guest because, you know, I got got to find somebody that is seeing this from another angle. I'm seeing it from the Wall Street Journal, from Barron's, you know, like my, my guest talked about, different articles, successful farming. I'm seeing it on the road when I'm traveling around speaking to different organizations. But I've got a guest from the cooperative side, the agronomic side. So we're going to talk about size, scale, the change in the industry that is inputs and buyers, the large companies that are merging and consolidating. So again, welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast where we talk about the issues impacting you in the business of agriculture. My guest is Tim Bentz. Tim Bentz is the VP of Agronomy for the Equity out of Effingham, Illinois. The Equity was a client of mine this winter. I met Tim, saw him present to uh, his board and to the uh, directors and some of his uh, co-workers that are in the management of that cooperative. Tim the Agronomy guy oversees a lot of acres. He's going to tell you all about that. 24 years of experience in that role. I think he's very, very knowledgeable. The reason I brought him on this podcast is because I thought he was a brilliant presenter about the business that he is in. Welcome, Tim Bentz. Appreciate you having me this afternoon, Damien. It's a privilege to be on. Um, we, you heard, you heard me obviously announce the topic. So we're talking about mergers and acquisitions, consolidations from your perspective there in Effingham, Illinois, corn capital of the world, or maybe second behind Iowa. We're not going to get into that. Soybeans, you've got customers that are in dairy. You sell a lot of feed through your cooperative. You've got a handle on everything, grain, agronomic inputs. Uh, we're seeing a lot of mergers and acquisitions. We've got ADM and Bungie in talks as we record this today. We have ADM and Bungie in talks. Just today, Monsanto's stock price dropped 5% because now there's concerns about will the Monsanto-Bayer deal pass the muster of antitrust regulation. A lot of stuff going on. Your perspective. I think without a doubt, Damien, that we're not surprised by by the, the mergers and the consolidation in the industry. We've seen that for years. What did surprise us was from 2007 through 15 was, you know, for us, it was the golden era of ethanol, or it's as good as it's been in agriculture, record farm income. You thought there would have been a lot of dry powder went away. And really, you know, one year into kind of the downsizing of the farm economy and immediately, the, you know, the merger game was on all the way through the industry. So the speed, which particularly some of these large companies felt the need to come together and then at distribution, Farms have been farms have been consolidating forever. We know the farmer is getting larger. No real change there. It it it, it, it that's just a continuation. But um, for these big companies to to, uh, to come off that record run 
and then all of a sudden feel the need to merge because they couldn't compete was a little surprising at the speed it happened. I agree with that. And I have said on this podcast and in my live presentations that agriculture as an industry runs for the exit screaming fire faster than any other industry I've worked for, spoken to, been around uh, with, been a customer of. You know, we, like you said, we went through this amazing run, I'd call it 05 till through 2014. It was just amazing. And as you said, you thought there'd be more dry powder stocked up, a little more hay in the barn. And there was, but they just had this, in my opinion, a commodity mentality it says, oh crap, corn's down, corn's down 14%, corn's down 25%, whatever it was. And then they ran screaming fire out of the theater. And I don't see it, I don't see it being necessary. I saw it happening so quickly, it surprised me as it surprised you. And, and you know, we've seen it before, so this is not anything new. And I was just, so it wasn't a merger, but obviously one of the big acquisitions and, and one of the, Syngenta was in play. At one point, they were a hunter when they were going after Monsanto as soon as this started, and soon they became the hunted when that failed, and now Kim China bought them. But, you know, that, so that, that has its roots back to the 70s, and this company's called Seba and Geige, and they became Seba Geige. And then they merged with Sandoz to make Novartis. And then long in the early 90s, uh, Novartis and uh, Zeneca merged to become Syngenta. And here we are back again with Kim China buying that company. And I think what drove Kim China to buy it was, was not that they needed the chemistry because uh, China, mo most of our AIs are being produced in China anyway, and, and they had access. It's, uh, Syngenta is all post-patent chemistry, but I think the unique thing there, what it, what it showed us was what China wanted was germplasm and access to data. And they had the money to pay for it. Yes, because it was the government. And at that, at that point in time, two years ago, they were willing to spend it outside the country. China's long march to having food security is what this is all about. I try and tell some agricultural folks, it's a lot of the consumers say, well, I don't know if we want China to be in charge of all those pigs with Smith Klein. I say, it's not that they're going to do a bad job of raising the pigs. Americans are still raising the pigs. It's that they want control of the food supply, which I think was about the Kim China uh, Syngenta thing. They want control of some technology and to have a foot uh, in the door on uh, the, the technology. Am I right? Right. I mean, I don't think we realize it, but China's about 88, 89 million acres of corn, not that much smaller than the U.S. corn base, but I think their average production is 94 bushel per acre. And yeah, we're doing 165 bushels. We're, last I read, we're doing uh, like about a third more or even 50% more production per acre than they are, but they are a big player. Let's talk about innovation. Does this stifle innovation? When I read about, Tim, when I read this, when I said that, that mergers and acquisitions Every article I read said this is about cost savings. This is about economies of scale. Never once did I hear it say this is about us getting more innovative. No, and it wasn't. And we can go into innovation later, but you know, I think innovation and value creation are probably two of the most overused words in corporate America today to the point we're not really sure what they are. But, but this was simply, and they like to refer to it as synergies, but... Um, but by put it by whether it was Dow DuPont or Monsanto Bear or or some of the resulting purchases down the road, this was about ways to reduce reduce duplication, which is basically dropping headcount. Uh, felt they had duplication in R and D, um, and just take it and then you know scaling fixed across you know across the board and putting them in position to compete because the reality is they aren't really coming forth with a lot of innovation so they can create capture new markets or, or, or maybe margin, 
So, so they've got to get a better cost structure and, and they did it, you know, by acquiring a competitor and, and achieving what they thought was, you know, cost savings. Yeah, it was all about cost savings. And like you said, cutting headcount, all that. I don't see now one article says we're still fine because we've spent in the ag space. And this was an article from December of 2017. So right around Christmas time in successful farming, one uh, interview, one uh, person pointed out that we're still fine because we've seen $10 billion of investment in ag technology over the last three years. And I'd say, yes, over the last three years, meaning 14, 15, 16, I don't think we're going to see it moving forward because all of these were commodity-driven, commodity mindset, mergers, acquisitions, and consolidations to cut headcount and achieve greater economies of scale. So I worry about the innovation. And I, and as far as the, the money spent, I don't think that, you know, uh, being a great innovative company correlates with the amount of money spent, whether it's your total spend on R&D or your percent of revenue is R&D. In fact, I think we've seen that, you know, often innovation comes out of smaller companies that are more entrepreneurial, don't have that legacy behind them. Well, I think what we've seen out of these big companies is what I'd call just incremental improvement. Uh, go ahead. I agree completely with you. You know, you were at your organization, hired me to do a presentation. I talked about reinvention because I do that a lot. I talked about reinvention as a co-op for you guys. But I talk about this with other organizations and we've got to get and in corporate groups, the larger the corporation, the less they understand it, it seems. Great ideas go to boardrooms to die <laughs> or boardrooms are places where great ideas come to die. You don't have a dozen or 18 people sitting around a table that are all politically more bureaucratic. That's why they're, they're in these large organizations. They nod their head. Guys like you and me are a little bit more small business oriented. We worked our way up and we say things like, no, we need to try this. And that doesn't happen for these large organizations. They're not out there really throwing it on the line every day to try something new. So I'm concerned that they think they've reinvented their entire industry and all they've really done is just gotten bigger and, and cut some of the fat. That's true. And, and we're doing an e-commerce venture and we've, so we've had time to, uh, the chance, the opportunity to spend some time with some CEOs and people up and down the, the corporate ladder on a lot of these large companies. And I'm convinced that, you know, at those levels, we have uh, kind of confused creative marketing for innovation. And, uh, and maybe they believe it, but, and that's kind of been the message to the farmer and the consumer is, is how innovative we become. But the, the, at best, we like I said, at best, it's incremental improvement. We haven't really bought innovation, but we have got really good at creating the perception that we've become innovative. That's a dead on fact, you know, changing your logo and putting on all your employee business cards, it says we're the sustainable solution or whatever such thing. That doesn't mean two hoots in hell about actual uh, game changing. Talk about size and scope, size and scale, if you will. Ag suppliers, ag buyers. Okay, companies have done this for a long time. You've been around, you're, you're a few years older than me. We've seen this and it's always been the case. Every farm uh, stat for since I was a kid, Farmers are getting bigger. Farms are getting bigger. Companies tend to merge. We know this. We've seen this. You already mentioned. I was an intern with DuPont when I was 21 years old. I've seen it. American Cyanamid. They, they don't exist. Stauffer. Shell Oil. Sibagagi. You can go on, 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 on. And it's not just there. Seed companies. You drove up and down to county roads when, when you and I were kids. There's all kinds of seed companies that if, they're, if they still exist, they're probably owned by a bigger parent company or they've been merged. Where does it go? Where does it ultimately go, Tim? 
Well, I, I think with this, this scale, they're going to have to, um, and we can, you know, as a farmer, their first concern is with these mergers is it's bad for, for the consumer. It's bad for the farmer because of lack of competition. And, I, you know, I'll first say that I, I think there is uh, more buying power at the farm gate than there's ever been. And even if we consolidate down to three companies, and some of that is because there has been a lack of innovation to become a commodity business, but, but the farmer today has as much buying power as he's ever had. And so I don't, I don't think we have to be concerned about that to this point. That is a big concern, and it's more of a concern about, well, some of the actual farmers have that concern. And remarkably, you and I know people that wouldn't know a Holstein from a Hereford from a soybean, and they're the kind of people that live in the suburbs of America, and they bring it up to guys like you and I because they know we're ag guys. And they say, hey, what's this I saw? Now, doesn't Monsanto just basically own all the farmers? <laughs> What's this I read? What's this I saw on that documentary that some big companies just basically have these farmers by the neck? And that's a concern our consumers have that's really kind of unfounded. I agree with you that I don't know that it's going to hurt the end uh, user from a standpoint of pricing because I think they already are big enough in an oligopolistic standpoint. They about charge what they can charge or what anyhow. Do you think it matters on pricing? I don't. No, I don't. I think I think that ultimately, especially in this market, until we find that true innovation that really creates some 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 value for the grower, some good ROI. Other than that, I think the market determines what what products are worth, and 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 the market being the farmer collectively. So, I mean, I'm not. I don't think he should be concerned at all about his buying power. Uh, you know, from our standpoint, from ag retail, because not not only have we seen um, consolidation at, at the, the big level, the, the basic manufacturers, and that's across the fertilizer industry and, and the, the Monsantos and Syngenta's of the world. The layer below them, distribution, has had tremendous consolidation. And so it's, so even at our level in retail, so they're half the co-ops or ag retailers there were today, five years ago, probably there's still twice too many of us. So our concern is we don't get bigger to uh, buy better because there's a point where you're buying as good as you can in this market and scale doesn't help that. What, what it is about is having access to markets. You, because in a consolidating market, you have to at least have size that the large players in the world find you an efficient way to, to reach the market. And when you're, on, when you're buying on a global nature, whether that's potash that only comes from two sources, Canada or Russia, or the fact that we, you know, our phosphate industry in the U.S. is moving to Africa and Saudi Arabia, and in in the nitrogen consolidation in this country, you have to have scale to access those markets, or you simply won't be able to buy competitively for your customer. So, from our concern, and I think you see that all across the retail, is um, we have some fear that will be left behind, and so we've seen so many mergers at the, at the retail level uh, simply for the sake of. The, we've got to get bigger. Unfortunately, bigger does not mean better. And we see a lot of people consolidate that we're struggling to manage at the level they were. And now they're twice that size and it only creates more problems. So, you know, scale does help to access markets. Scale helps to spread fixed costs and R&D and some of those things. But, you know, as I've said, uh, scale isn't everything by any means unless you don't have it. Yeah, I, I think that's dead on. And you are one of the few people in this uh, industry that you had said there might still be double the number that we need in terms of distribution, retail, uh, crop inputs. Nobody wants to admit that. But the reality is 
we don't have anybody going without. Anybody that wants to buy a shuttle of glyphosate or 2,4-D or a, you know, uh, two semi-loads of uh, urea, whatever the thing is, they got it. They have no problem getting it. No. And, and the fact, if, it isn't the fact that we can control the market if there were half left of us. It's that simply there's some slop and we have too much cost in our chain. And with farm income in half, the grower's going to demand we take cost out. And sooner or later, we have to have to face reality that, that some of these facilities are no longer relevant and, and that we just had too much cost and that's going to, we're going to have to you know, face that up and, and the market's going to demand it of us. And that brings me to my next point. There are some benefits to these. There's benefits and then I think there's negatives to what we're seeing with these big mergers and acquisitions. I think the benefit is uh, from a cost standpoint. Contrary to what the average person in suburbia or, or even listening to this podcast thinks, I don't know that three of them or six of them really mattered. And I'm talking about, you know, the, the four big grain handlers, you know, the ABCDs, ADM, Bungie, Cargill, and uh, Dreyfus. I'm talking about on equipment. We've been to really in a situation where there's three big equipment manufacturers. We've been there for 30 years, haven't we? That's, and even within the equipment manufacturers, We've seen, we've seen consolidation, particularly in John Deere, all the way down to the dealer level. There's not a, lo a local dealer in every town. There's about three dealers left in our state. And so it's, it's, all, it's you know, consolidation among brands and consolidation within brands. That's exactly right. I've done work for the Equipment Dealers Associations, and I have friends, in fact, my friend in Montana, she's used me at events. They had four dealerships, and now they've sold their four because there was some forced consolidation going on. So from a benefit standpoint, I don't know that it's, I don't know that the pricing is the biggest concern. Um, I think there might be some benefits in that it probably has kept things fairly, uh, fairly, uh, I'd say, available, as you pointed out. Pricing, you don't think it's a big concern. Um, what's a benefit to any of us through these big mergers and acquisitions? You know, I, I haven't really seen a benefit, to be honest, from, from, the, uh, from, the, from the mergers. Uh, I don't see, I, there, there's probably some opportunity there uh, when they finally get it together, you know, and a Dow DuPont can take that uh, Pioneer germplasm and spread it across, across some other lines. Um, when they finally figure out there are some, some, some real synergies to be captured, but we haven't seen that today. What happens, what we have to deal with in these mergers is you basically lose two years of that company's performance because when one of these, so we, we talked about earlier, Monsanto's going on a year and a half with Bayer and it looks like it's, it's got concerns today. So they're real people at those companies and, and they don't know if they're gonna have jobs. And in the case of uh, you know, the Bayer-Monsanto deal, for Bayer agreed to sell 1,600 of their people plus their research to BSF. So the people that are out here uh, trying to deliver to the customer that are that are trying to do the research that are, that are you know just trying to run the business they're people too and their first concern is do i have a job when this is done uh and then there's so many legal firewalls that people on either side of the company are totally uninformed so everything almost grinds to a halt till this and then and then you know if it looks like you have a job it's who's who's my new boss and there's a whole power structure to be learned over again the, the human side of it is impossible to remove from it because they are still you know Mitt Romney got harangued when he said this in the presidential debate when he said corporations are people because all oh, of the the liberal mindset is corporations are evil entities that you know steal from the poor and all that but the reality is these corporations are run and employed and staffed by people and I, I was on a shuttle going to one of my events this 
winter. And on the shuttle were people from the two big fertilizer, or the three big fertilizers that are soon to become two, am I right? And they both were sort of feeling each other out, like, wait a minute, next year ain't both of us gonna be coming to this meeting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a little bit of a you know, gunfight at showdown at the OK Corral. I had a hard time also, by the way, I'm talking to Tim Bentz, VP of Agronomy with the Equity. He's a sharp dude talking about mergers and acquisitions, as you probably know, here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. In case you just stepped away to get a beer and came back, I just want to make sure you remember what you're listening to, dear listener. I had a hard time coming up with a benefit also. I kept thinking, what's the real big benefit to us, to the consumer, or I mean the consumer that buys food at Kroger, or to the, the consumer, us, that buy shuttles of glyphosate, or uh, bulk fertilizer, or machinery, it's happening all over. Fertilizer, machinery, grain, animal health, I think, is down to really two big players. So it's happened all across the board. And I don't know that I can see a great benefit, but I also put it in perspective this way. Big picture, it may not matter. And everybody's going to say, well, what are you talking about? Doesn't matter. This is the business of agriculture, man. What are you talking about? It's your podcast. If you're a historian, you can look up that Sears was going to dominate the world. Sears sold stuff to people in Kansas through the RFD, through rural free delivery mail. They would extend you credit, send you, sell you everything for the house, including the house. <laughs> and they were going to take over the world. And then Walmart comes along and they're going to take over the world. And now Amazon's going to take over the world. So maybe the reality is, whether these companies get big, whether there's all this, maybe it doesn't matter because I'm not sure the consumer right now that wants to buy their fly swatter cares whether it comes from Sears, from Walmart, or through Amazon, and they're still happy with their fly swatter. Maybe it's gonna be the same thing for us on the ag side, but I would say my concern is this. Too much technology starting to be in few hands and also a lack of drive to create more new technology because as you and I both know, innovation, uh, you know, a new idea usually doesn't come out of uh, a huge, huge, huge corporation with market scale. No, and when you do get down, that may be, and it gets back to market access. If you're a small company and you truly have the next best new idea or a, a true piece of innovation, can you access the market? Uh, if, if it gets down to three companies with that kind of market share, and, and it's a market that requires a lot of capital to get into, then it becomes very, very difficult for, to, to be a Google to come to, from nothing with a search algorithm to where they are today because, because th those big companies can wall you off. And, and and, yeah, market access is a big thing. And as you just said, I mean, if you're bored and you want to know about the big three, it used to be that we had three companies that controlled all the automobiles in the United States of America. The reason that changed was because of imports. It was not because of anything that happened right here domestically. It was because of imports. There was the big three. And there's a guy named Tucker. You guys have seen the movie, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, while it's still winter and you're having a crappy night, rent the movie Tucker. Same thing, right? He had a brilliant idea for a better car and he got walled off. He got basically just, just killed by those big three. This happens. If you and I wanted to start an airline and we said, you know what? We have, we have this idea that out of Chicago, we could fly and we're gonna be big and I've got you know investor money behind me. American United, really like their situation. And they're gonna, they're gonna say, well, there's really three of us big airlines and then there's Southwest as your cheap fourth. So there is the big three economics at play. Any other thoughts on that? No, other than, the, you know, in, in the marketplace today, the, the other changes we see is 
We, we are, the ag industry, uh, particularly from a retail perspective, I think we're uh, about two years behind the food industry. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to do online and last mile delivery. Um, we've finally realized, and this, this, is, this is a threat, maybe some of that behind the uh, consolidation of the majors, is the consumer today accepts house brands. In fact, they seek out house brands. They know the qualities there. They understand the components in them. And they realize there's a price point, and they're, especially the younger millennials, are much more happy just to buy house brands. And when 85% of your uh, ag uh, chemicals today are post-patent house brands, I, you know, and the market's going to have them there, but but they are a threat to to the way we do business today. We see them as opportunity, but some don't view them that way. I would say that uh, while we're right now, we keep talking about whether this threatens innovation. Maybe that doesn't matter either. I'll tell you why. We've got too much milk, we've got too much corn, we've got too much soybeans. We arguably have too much cotton, although cotton, I guess, bumped up here just lately. We've got just about too much of everything. So if we don't have an innovative moment for the next five to 10 years, it may not matter because we still have plenty of everything. The only thing that would be a concern, let's say using ag chemical as an example, if we continue to have weeds that are invasive that the old technology cannot take care of. Or from a grain handling standpoint, if it gets down to three and one of them suffers a natural disaster where tornadoes rip through half of the Mississippi, now we have a problem because we're reliant on one less. That's the only thing that I see being a big concern, uh, frankly. And we're there and it, from the invasive weed species and particularly water hemp, you know, we are using 1980s and early 90s chemistry trying to control that and have lost, we lost, you know, the Roundup. To me, the last really true innovative piece in agriculture was the Roundup trait. And all the traits since then have been just incremental. Well, we've, we've lost the value of that trait and there's really nothing to replace it. We're using the dicamba trait, but we both know there's some baggage there. And, and I guess I would ask you, since it's all about innovation and, and what's that next thing going to drive things, what, what has been innovative in ag in the last 20 years that's really changed the market? Not much of anything. I actually just wrote down GMOs, genetic engineering was the horseless carriage. And uh, there's people that don't won't like me saying that, but the, the, if you look at human evolution and, and what we've done, when we went, we were essentially horses <laughs> for thousands and thousands of years. And by God, in the turn of the century, we're talking just 120 years ago, the steam engine, Sometime, you know, late 1800s, Industrial Revolution, those were incrementally, I mean, like, like jumping off the cliff, crazy big advancements. Steam engine, rail power, and then uh, internal combustion engine, horses carriage. Genetic engineering, GMO technology starting in the mid-90s might have been that moment. Since then, I'd say all we did was make a little bit better horses carriage. Oh, I agree. And, and that's, you know, the question you and everybody else ask is, you know, where's that next new thing? And I think we're looking for it, but I don't see it out there right now. Maybe it's CRISPR technology and we're able to, you know, that changes weed control and some other things. And maybe it's something more on the demand side that we can do, but I'm not sure where it's at, but we're looking for it. I think it's probably two things, and people listen to my podcast know, Tim, I think it's going to be something of, around environmentalism because there's such a drive among our consumer base to use less product that they deem to be bad for the environment, be it chemical, be it diesel, be it something that increases sedimentation. So whatever the next thing is, is going to be probably, I think we need to reduce food waste. You know, we think we have too much corn right now, too much uh, beef right now, too much milk right now. 
what about if we weren't wasting one third of what we produce, which is about the stat worldwide, we, we waste, lose to rot or spoilage or lack of refrigeration or just scrape off the plate one third. So around food waste and environmentalism is where I see some big advances. And then it probably means, again, if we're reducing food waste, we're using less uh, inputs, where does that put us? Well, it's Toys R, hey, Toys R Us just closed 33,000 employees are going to be out of work. Where are they going to go? We all face the same reality. I know. And, you know, until we, until we answer the, and they are, and around food waste, I know, I think I read where Amazon's we're, uh, finding that out with the Whole Foods thing because the consumer is demanding that you have to be responsible and as far as the environment goes and food waste is a big piece. We are going to, you know, we'll continue to farm every year. Um, obviously, I think we take food security for granted in this country. And as you say, if, if, we, if you're China and trying to feed 1.4 billion people, you understand food security then. So and, until then, we will see these mergers and we, we will see the channel continue to have to squeeze out some cost because we have to produce food every year. And But in, until that, that innovative piece comes along, whether it's from environment or uh, or technology, you know, the nice thing to know is we are going to be in business every year. And I think, I think the country's lucky and probably takes the farmer for granted for the, because even from a sustainability standpoint, I don't think the American farmer gets credit for everything he does. I mean, he is very good at conserving his land. He's doing a good job of every year improving the amount of nutrients that run off. Um, he, he reduces the amount of fuel he uses every year to push that crop. He probably just needs to do a better job documenting that so people understand what a good job he does. And then, oh, by the end, he gives you the cheapest source of food in the world. So, you know, I, I think we're lucky to be part of that industry. Oh, I think we're, we're both in an industry we love. By the way, listeners, I know we have some farm hers that listen. Tim did not mean anything in a chauvinistic standpoint when he said he, referring to farmers, he means gener generically to the operator, be it female or male, of course. We have, we have gals that listen to this show also. And, and, you know, here's a chance for me to plug. So, so in ag retail, you know, I think 54% of the college graduates are, are females. And, and some of our best employees and, and, and up and down the chain. And, you know, it's taken us a while in the ag to wake up. But uh, that's a great recruiting pitch because um, I know your, some of your last questions there we've talked about, you know, um, what's one piece of advice that, that we can benefit from? Well, the bottom line in all this, I mean, it's whatever business we're in, if you deliver the best customer experience, you win. But, and this is a cliche, but you can't deliver a customer experience unless you, you have the best people. And as you and I have talked, everybody says they have the best people, and that's not true. And the single most, re the, the one resource we have that's in, that's in endangered species is, is great people. So I know from our standpoint, those 54% of, and ag's traditionally been way too heavily dominated male, but they're going to be some of our best employees, and we really, you know, uh, kind of woken to that fact that, hey, we need to recruit them too, and we're not going to survive because you can't leave half the workforce, you know, shut out, and, and they're going to be a big part of us going forward. Look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Bentz, the VP of Agronomy with the Equity. We began by talking about mergers and acquisitions, and I always like to conclude with some thoughts from every professional that's in the business of agriculture that comes on this show. I say, I was put in there when I sent them a little script or at least the outline of stuff we're going to discuss. I say, give us some thoughts, some ideas, a piece of advice or information that you see from your perspective in the business of agriculture. He just did that. Mergers and acquisitions, I think that we're probably not quite done, although we're going to run out of companies to merge and consolidate. 
<laughs> I think we probably are going to just get to where you can only have, if there's going to be three, well, by golly, we're about there on many of them. I don't see it being as detrimentally bad as some might for the industry, only because it's mostly still commodity-based stuff. You said it yourself, Tim, there at the equity, you're still selling technology we were using in the 1980s. I'm talking about uh, from, not on seed, but on chemical and fertilization and whatnot. It, it dominate. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have any tools at all today is what it amounts to. Uh, so we do concern ourselves a little bit about innovation. Are we going to see, are we going to see a stifling of innovation when all of these mergers and acquisitions were done to control costs? I think yes, but maybe for the short term, it doesn't matter because we still have plenty of everything. That's my, that's my walk away from this show. Your last thought. Well, I just want to thank you for having me on today, Damien. You, you're, you're a great thinker and you challenge me and I go away from these refreshed. So I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on this afternoon. Maybe we'll do it again in a year because we'll have something new to talk about. I'm Damien Mason. He's Tim Bentz. I appreciate you joining us here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Do it again. Check me out next week. Follow me online. See all my social stalkers that hate me. It's a lot of fun. Hey, thanks a lot. Till next time.